I uh, absolutely love that story that uh, Moses shared. Um, so before we moved here, we were part of the Riverside campus. So we have two campuses in Riverside. One's an English campus, one's a Spanish-speaking campus, uh, and they meet at the same location. They're in the same location, so English has their service first and Spanish comes later. Uh, and I was talking uh, with Ozzy, the campus pastor there, and he actually told me the story where one of their one of the people that attends the English campus showed up at the Spanish campus and he was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. He's like, I don't, but I've been inviting this friend and he feels more comfortable. I've been inviting my neighbor. He feels more comfortable coming to the Spanish service. So I just told him I'd meet him here and I'm gonna go to church and I have no idea what's, what you're gonna be saying or what's going on, uh, but it's important to me. And that's the story. Like that, that what, what Moses just read um, is that, and that, that person ended up getting connected at the Spanish campus. Um, and so it's just, just a really, really cool um, God moment. Um, the other thing I want to tell you before we dive in is yesterday um, we had 38 adults and kids come to our Love the Treasure Valley um, uh, project yesterday where we partnered with Rake Up Boise, which is super cool. And so if you joined us, you're part of that. Thanks so much for coming out. Uh, we, we raked up a lot of leaves yesterday. Yeah, we did. Yes. Uh, more leaves than, uh, than I even thought would exist in life, uh, but there was a lot of them. So, well, last week we began a series where we're tackling some common cliches, some sticky statements that we all use and that we all kind of pass off or at least assume are, are true. And, and because we, we all love offering these little nuggets of wisdom or advice or support or sympathy, the, the, these sayings that come in handy when we want to help ourselves or someone else kind of find some perspective or feel a little bit better about the thing that we're dealing with. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we often give these things, you know, the weight as if God said them in the scriptures. But the question that we've been kind of tackling all, you know, of this series that we started last week and we're going to be working through every single week is like, what if some of the guidance that you're giving and receiving, what if some of these things that we're all talking about, what, what if... What if they just aren't true? What if just because it fits on a meme or on a, you know, a magnet that goes on your refrigerator, what if, what if it's not actually in the scriptures? What if not, that's not actually something God said? And so today, I wanted to start this morning by just kind of asking you a question. And this is, a, this is the only interactive part. So it's the only part where you have to like participate. But, but raise your hand if you've ever been judged unfairly. If somebody's ever judged you and you've been the victim or you've experienced, did you just point at your dad? I love that. That's awesome. That is fantastic. Look, it's in the dad handbook. Judge your kids harshly, all right? Um, but, but the truth is like we, we've all been judged, right? We've all been judged unfairly and, and it sucks. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of the things that religion and specifically Christianity has become known for in our culture. Uh, but the truth is, is that Christians are judgy because well, human beings are judgy. Like we don't, own, we don't own the market. We don't own the corner on the market for being judgmental. If you don't believe me, just go on social media. Like you will find people all over the place. So we have, uh, we have four kids, our youngest of which, his name is Kelton, he's six. So a, a couple nights ago, some, we had some friends that were in town this weekend that we haven't seen in like three or four years and, um, and just had a ball with them. They're some of our closest friends in the world. And so Thursday night, we went to dinner and we were at our favorite restaurant and we left and Kelton was in the back and he's like, I love Pe Pueblo Lindo. And he, he can't say Pueblo, so he says Pueblo. I love Pueblo Lindo. And I was like, dude, I love that too. That's really good. And we were turning and making a U-turn to come back up Eagle. And he's like, but we always got to make this stupid U-turn. I hate this. I hate this part. And I was like, what? What are you, what 
What do you care? Is it really difficult riding back there in the backseat? This is really, really hard for you. And he's like, dad, look, I have a lot of opinions and that's just one of them. And I was like, I bet you do. I bet you, I'm, I'm going to be interested for us to sit down sometime for me to be able to hear some of your opinions. But the truth is that's all of us, right? Like we have no shortage of opinions about pretty much everything, including each other. And so there's this idea or this phrase that's really kind of become a mantra in our culture where we say only God can judge me. And we might not say those words, but in essence, it takes on different forms. But, but we say that over, you know, hear people say it all the time. We've all heard it. We maybe even have said it in defense of ourselves that only God can judge us. But the funny thing is, is that didn't actually come from, that didn't come from Jesus. That actually came from Tupac. So slightly, woo, yeah. Slightly different agendas, slightly different messages, slightly different lives lived, all right? But it wasn't Jesus, it was Tupac. Now, even if you didn't know, like, that came from, you know, a 90s rapper, you know, and not Jesus, like, it does sort of sound like something Jesus did say. For instance, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said these words, do not judge, all right? Seems pretty straightforward. In fact, in our culture, over the course of the last hundred years, even if people were not believers, they're not followers of Jesus, they weren't church people, they didn't read the Bible, they didn't really know that much about the Bible, um, the, the number one verse that people quoted all the time, that people just sort of knew, that it was just kind of the thing that people shared was actually John 3.16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, um, the most well-known and quoted Bible verse in our culture has been replaced. Like John 3, 16 has been replaced. And, and most people don't know that they're quoting Matthew 7, verse 1, but it has been, you know, John 3, 16 has been replaced by Matthew 7, 1 as the most quoted saying that Jesus, you know, statement that Jesus ever made is do not judge, do not judge. You can't judge me, only God can judge me. Now here's the problem. Jesus did say that. It's just not all that he said. For instance, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and including verse 2, this is this full statement. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Which is definitely like bigger in scope and it's a little broader than just that one phrase, do not judge. But it still kind of sounds like Jesus is telling us that we need to completely steer clear of ever judging anyone for any reason, which is honestly what most of us and most people in our culture take Jesus to be saying. And here's how we define that. Like if you just talk to people, you just sort of pay attention. The way that we define do not judge in our culture is we define it as don't ever say or do anything to anyone that might make them feel uncomfortable for any reason. Don't criticize them for any reason. Don't criticize some choice. Don't judge any choice. Don't do anything that might make them feel uncomfortable. That, that is the way most people sort of broadly in our culture would define that. And the reason that most of us sort of take Jesus to mean that is because of the things that we value in our culture. For instance, like one, one of the, the, the things that's huge in our culture is individualism. And, and it used to be that individualism, kind of the theme of that in our culture was that we, no, we weren't dependent on other people, that I was responsible for me and you were responsible for you. Now, like it's sort of been redefined where it's like, I should be able to do whatever I want, regardless of how it impacts anybody else. That's how we kind of talk about individualism in our 
culture. The other value that we have in our culture is relativism, which is you hear this, you can, you'll hear this today or see people say this today, um, you know, just looking on social media. And it's the idea that what's right and what's wrong for me is entirely dependent upon my specific situation. Right? Like I have my truth and you have your truth. And as long as your truth doesn't violate my truth, like we're good, but you don't, don't you dare judge me. Don't you dare criticize anything that I've said or done because you don't know my story. You don't know, like, like that right and wrong is very dependent on our story and our experiences and our situations. And then the final sort of value that we have in our culture is the idea of tolerance, which is it, it used to be this really beautiful thing that like we could actually disagree with one another, but we actually shared together. But now in our culture, we believe two lies, right? Which is like, if I love you, that means I completely endorse and completely agree with all of your positions and everything that you could possibly think ever. And if I disagree with you ever, it's because I hate you and I'm a bigot, right? And, and so we've actually defined tolerance to be like, that we should just not, we should not just accept people's choices, but we should approve of them and applaud them and even advocate for them, even when we believe that they're the wrong thing. So this verse, this phrase, this statement from Jesus in our culture has become, anybody remember Monopoly? Anybody still play Monopoly? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Actually, our friends went to the park yesterday, our friends from out of town, and they saw Two kids, two teenagers that rode their bikes to the park and then sat down at a bench and played Monopoly, which is, I'm like, all right, nerds. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, but but this, this idea of do not judge is like the get out of jail free card in Monopoly, that once you have it, like you can just play it as many times. Of course, even in Monopoly, you couldn't, but, but we treat it like that. It's like every judgment, every criticism, every time that you come at me, every time you, you say something that I don't do, it's like, boom, 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 boom. Chances are you're wrong. Stop judging me. Get away from me. I can use that as many times as I want. And so the only thing that we're comfortable with in our culture, the only time we're allowed to pass judgment in our culture is when we catch someone else being judgmental and we can judge them for judging other people. The problem is when we judge people for judging, it's in itself judgmental. And then we're just like, ah, what do we do? So what are we supposed to do? Now, the other challenge that's involved in this is that not all judgment is the same. I mean, there's different levels and different types of judgment. Like I, you know, I sat down this week and started kind of charting some out. And I thought, I mean, there's, there's just, sometimes there's just personal preferences. There's things that you like that I don't like and things I like you don't like. Um, sometimes there's like intuition that we get or a gut feeling that this person or this situation or this experience or this habit or this activity is not gonna be good for me. It's not healthy for me. Sometimes in our, in our lives, we have to make sap, snap decisions where we gotta jump to conclusions and we don't have a lot of information, but we just gotta form a decision and, for, and, and we gotta make a judgment call. And there's times where we make sweeping generalizations about people and situations where we define someone or something based on a kind of similar but completely unrelated experience that we had. Then there's times where we like look at each other and we sort of summarize a person and who they are and everything about them and their whole identity just based on like one or two things that they said or did that we, that, we know, that we know of in our life. And of course, all of those things get much more complicated when you throw God into the mix because now I don't just have opinions about you, but clearly God agrees with all of me about my opinions, especially when it comes to you. So what is it that Jesus meant when he talked about judging in Matthew chapter seven? Because you cannot read the scriptures. I think it's impossible to read the scriptures and when you begin to do that, like you be qu quickly discover that you cannot live by 
and follow the teachings of Jesus without making some moral judgments in your life. That, that you cannot follow who Jesus is. You can't live out his teachings and his life and his way of living without ultimately having to make some moral judgments. In fact, the scriptures are full of calls and invitations and commands for us to recognize and name and avoid evil. God speaking in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter five, verse 20 says this. He says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark. He's going, man, what a terrible situation to find yourself in. How messed up, how broken is life when you found yourself in a situation where you're calling evil good and good evil. See, what God makes clear over and over and over again in the scriptures is that it's actually wrong for us to not call wrong, wrong, which is really uncomfortable. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying, do not judge, but then we're also supposed to call out wrong and evil. So what do we do? How do you make sense of this? How do we judge and not judge at the same time? Well, to begin with, whenever we're trying to understand what God is saying to us in the scriptures, there's actually two basic guiding questions that we should always ask. Number one, when we read a verse or we read something in the scriptures, we should ask, what's the context? Who said it? Who were they talking to? What was the you know, cultural context at the time? What, what, what comes right before and right after it? Was it a part of a bigger conversation? Like for instance, the verses we read from Matthew chapter seven came right at the end of this massive sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a lot of stuff that came before it and there's a bunch of stuff that came after it. So that's the first question is what's the context? The other question we should ask is what else does God said about this in the scriptures? We, we take verses, we don't pull them out by themselves and go, okay, we're gonna try to understand this based on our experiences or life. No, we pull it out and we go, what, how do we understand this based on the rest of scripture, the rest of what God has said? so that we don't end up like pulling a verse out and creating a whole movement. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately how most cults get started is we pull a verse out and we build on that verse and we create this whole belief system around this one, this one thing. So what else does God say about it? So today I'm gonna hit you with a lot more scripture than I normally hit you with. Uh, and so fasten your seatbelts, get your Bible out, get your pin out, get your thinking cap on, whatever the cliche you wanna use, get ready to take some pictures. I don't know, all the scriptures will be on the screen or you can follow along with your Bible app, or if you have a Bible, please. Okay, so we're gonna begin in John chapter seven. John chapter seven, Jesus is responding to some judgmental religious leaders and who were judging him, who were trying to figure out, you know, judging his claims that he was the son of God. And they're trying to figure that out and they're like judging some of the things he did. And so they're, they're, he's arguing back, they're arguing back and forth with Jesus. And right in the middle of the conversation, Jesus drops this in verse, 20, uh, verse 24. He says, he tells them, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So Jesus here, he doesn't chastise them or correct them for judging at all, but he corrects them for judging the wrong way. So there are times, at least so far that we see, where we're supposed to judge, but there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. According to Jesus, there's a good judgment, meaning there's a good, healthy, correct way for us to judge, and there's a bad judgment, which is bad, unhealthy, and incorrect way. And what we began to see and what I'm gonna unpack for you to hear here today and what you're gonna see as we go along is that it's God's role is ultimately to judge us it's to judge who's good. 
Like God's the one that looks at us and makes the ultimate pronouncements about our life. It's our role to learn how to use good judgment. And so what that means is that there is a time for us to, and and I'm just, before I even make this statement and you already see it there on the screen, there's gonna be some things that I feel they they make me uncomfortable that we're going to talk about today. And so I'm sure they will make you a little bit uncomfortable because even though many of us may not ascribe to those definitions that I was just giving sort of the cultural backdrop, and many of us would define those things differently, or we know people who define them that way. And we're like, "Ah, I don't think that's quite what that means. We got to be able to disagree and, you know, right and wrong. And there is, you know, like we still live in a culture that's bent that way. So we get really uncomfortable whenever we get around this conversation. And so it is very uncomfortable. But there are times when there is a time for us to confront, but there's never a time for us to condemn. So then the question becomes, well, how do you know? What what is good judgment? How do you judge correctly? What does it look like to have healthy confrontation? When when is the right time? So there's this really interesting story in the the New Testament. The apostle Paul tells the story about this intense confrontation that he had with another one of the disciples named Peter. And so Paul tells the story in Galatians chapter two, beginning with verse 11, he says this. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. I love that Paul says I had to. Look, I didn't have a choice, you guys. He was being a jerk face. I had to confront him. I had to oppose him to his face. Verse 12, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, When some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with those Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of the criticism from the people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, which was a part of their religious belief as Jews. Verse 13, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter in his hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So quick little backstory, and then we're gonna fast forward to what happened and why this matters, and then we'll get back to how all of this applies and tracks with us. So the Jesus movement started, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was a Jew. He was born, he was a Hebrew, born a Jew, and, and he came to the, to the Jewish people. And so his movement started with them. And at first, they believed that only Jews could come to God through Jesus, but God, through the life and message and the death and resurrection of Jesus, and ultimately, as they were all sort of wrestling with what all of that meant, God began to make it repeatedly clear that the thing that he was doing, that the thing that he did through Jesus was not just for the Jewish people, but was for everyone. And so you can read a lot about all of those like fits of them trying to figure it out all in the book of Acts. Like you can read all about that because there's a lot of them wrestling with what does all this mean? And so even though they began to, to understand that Jesus came for everyone, a lot of the Jews who had become Jesus followers, they really had a hard time letting go of their own religious rules. And ultimately they kept trying to impose them on all of the Gentiles or the non-Jews who were coming into the movement of Jesus. So they're like, yeah, you can come follow Jesus. Oh, but you gotta get circumcised. And that, how many know, guys, that's like a barrier to joining anything. Like, okay, hold on. I don't know if I wanna do that. And so, and the Christians who were not Jews, they, they often were treated as second rate. It was like, yeah, you can come to our church, but you guys have that section over there and we're not gonna eat with you because you're unclean. You know, like that, 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 it's hard to have a relationship with somebody when they keep calling you unclean. Like, I, dude, I showered, you know, what's going on? So they, but they were treated as second rate. And it all sort of culminates in Acts chapter 15 
when Peter and James, all these problems are coming up. And so they, they hold this council, Peter, James, John, a bunch of the disciples, a bunch of the you know, OG crew of Jesus get together. They hold this council and they're discussing it all. And they actually invite Paul to come speak. And he's telling these stories of all these Gentile, all these non-Jews that are coming to Jesus. And ultimately they correctly decide that there's no difference between a Jewish Jesus follower and a non-Jewish Jesus follower. And they decide that Jesus didn't come to affirm Judaism, but to start this new thing altogether. And it was all really good stuff. And so they make this decision. And just after like the ink is dry on all those letters and those and sending it out, then Peter has a trip and travels to Antioch and he's hanging out with Paul and they're just doing the Jesus thing and they're leaders and it's all great. And the, and the church there, and it's full of non-Jewish people. And that's not a problem because we all just decided, yeah, like this is clear. God's made it clear that we're all the same one. And so Peter's hanging out with them and he's eating them. And he's living, you know, he's living by what he knew that God had made clear. He had had a vision from God. You can read that in the book of Acts. Like he knew it. He knew, he knew it all the same. Like everybody, we're all equal. But then some of the old crew from the old hood show up. You ever had a friend where you like didn't know them back in the day and you're like getting to know them and like you're really tight and you think you know them, but then they have old friends show up and they like start changing like the way they talk and you're like, what was going on there? Like my mom for a long time, you know, I was born and raised in Texas or I wasn't raised in Texas, I was born in Texas, grew up, spent a little time there. My mom, my family, my mom didn't live in Texas for years, lost her, you know, lost her Southern draw, lost her accent, all that stuff. But anytime somebody from Texas would show up, all of a sudden she'd have it again. I'd be like, why are you doing that thing with your voice? Like, why? Stop it, right? So a bunch of Peter's friends from the hood show up and Peter completely changes how he's behaving. And he does so because he's afraid of what they'll think of him and he's afraid that they will judge him. And so he goes back to doing what he had just said not that long ago was the wrong thing to do, which was looking down on Gentiles, refusing to even eat with them, treating them you know, poorly. And so Paul goes to him and is basically like, dude, your reputation with those guys has become more important to you than doing the thing that you know is right. Not only are you being a hypocrite, but you're dragging other people into doing the wrong thing. And then he even says Barnabas, even Barnabas. And that dude is a straight arrow. Like that dude will do the right thing no matter what. And even him, you influenced him to do the wrong thing. So in this entire story, here's what I want you to see because it's the crux of everything I want you to say. This is what we see from Paul. Good judgment always involves the right people about the right things in the right way. It always involves the right people about the right things in the right way. Here's what I mean. In one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul begins to define for us who the right people are. This is what he says in verse 12. He's writing a letter to a church, to the church leaders in Corinth. And he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. He's going, look, it's not our responsibility. If they're outside the faith, they're not Jesus followers, they're not a part of the church. It's not our responsibility to have anything, any judgment at all for those people. But then he says this, but it is, it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And so Paul begins to define the right people in two ways. Number one, he says, First of all, they got to be Jesus followers. He kind of basically says, look, leave non-believers alone. Why are you trying to hold people accountable for a standard that they don't profess to live by? 
Like they don't read the Bible. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about Jesus or who he was. And maybe they do care, but they're not trying to live for him. Like leave those people alone. Stop hassling him, them. And I think this issue is one of the reasons why Christians or the, the church in the United States, the church in our culture has become known for being judgmental is because for years and decades, the church, Jesus followers have been trying to hold everyone in our culture accountable and judging them for not holding up the standards that are in the scriptures. And Paul's like, why are you doing that? Those people do not care. Leave those people alone. So the first thing is like, if they're not a Jesus follower, then you don't have any right place at all to judge them about anything. It's none of your business. God will handle that. The second thing he says about the right people is that he he talks about having a close relationship with them. Who are the people in the church? Now for us, we don't understand that to be like necessarily a close relationship because of the way our culture is. But in this culture, if you are a part of this faith community, if you are a part of the church, like these were your people. These were the people that you did life with. And so Paul's going like, Number one, they need to be a Jesus follower. Number two, you need to have a close relationship with them where there's some trust before you even begin to have a conversation about something that's going on in their life. By the way, this is the way Jesus defined it too. In Matthew chapter seven, verse three, so we read verses one and two a few minutes ago, but right after he says all that stuff about judging each other, he says this. He says, why? Why do you worry about the speck in your, whose eye? In your brother's eye. See, in Jesus' scenario, it not only assumes a relationship, it it assumes a close, connected relationship, somebody who is close enough to you for you to call them a brother. There's no mention by Jesus of us giving any thought or any consideration to specks in the eyes of people that we don't have close, connected relationship with, that we don't have a relationship of trust. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't or don't speak broadly to culture or things that are going on in the world, but it does mean that we should give thoughtful and careful consideration to our words and our motives and our audience before we actually do that. Because good judgment, according to the Apostle Paul and to Jesus, always starts with the right people, but it's also about the right things. So this is something else that the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, dear brothers and sisters, there's that relationship thing again. He says, if, any, if another believer is overcome by a sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, if you don't hear anything else I said today, I want you to hear this because I think if there's one way that we could define, if there's one sentence, one verse, one thing that sort of sums up what I believe Good judgment, what I believe is the heartbeat of what the New Testament and the movement of Jesus is about when it comes to this conversation of judging, it's, it's in this verse right here, that we should define it as gently and humbling and humbly helping each other get back on the right track. Like that is the heartbeat. That is what it looks like to have confrontation, to judge. Like I, I don't come in slamming you. I don't come in all self-righteous. I don't come in like I'm better. I don't come in like you've ruined Christianity. I just come in and go, hey, I want to help you get back on track. That that should be the essence of what it means to be a part of a faith community, that we're we're very gently and humbly helping each other get back on and stay on track. 
So Paul's beef with Peter, it wasn't about some personal preference that he had. It wasn't about some personal conviction, some other standard. These were his friends, but he wasn't like beefing with him over, you know, hey, you're mistreating my friends. No, Peter was not only being hypocritical, Peter was not only doing the opposite of something that he had already professed to believe, he was violating what God had said, what they had all knew that God had, God had given them multiple, like God had, this was not a question. So the thing that makes this challenging is if you are of Jesus follower, one of the things that makes this whole conversation really difficult is the tension that we feel between taking sin seriously and loving each other, loving people unconditionally. Because we see both of those things when you read the, the, the life of Jesus, when you read the things he said, when you read the New Testament, you could not argue like, oh, sin's no big deal. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Like You could not come to that conclusion. No, we're supposed to take it seriously. We're supposed to be moving towards becoming like him. We're supposed to be moving away from that stuff that's broken and messy that causes us to sin, that pulls us off track and pulls us off course. And we're supposed to be helping each other along in that journey. But we're also supposed to be loving people unconditionally. And those things feel un, you know, incompatible, but they're not. Here's the thing. Most of us tend to err on one side or the other, mostly because of our personalities. Like You know people that really like and enjoy and thrive on confrontation. And those are the people that are like, look, I got some truth for you that you need to hear and you're not gonna like it, but I gotta hit you with this truth and then that truth, I got some truth back here. Boom, bop, you know, and they're just like, truth, truth. And you're like, what about grace? What about grace? No, we'll get to that. But right now you just get truth. And then there's others of us that are like, I mean, I don't, you know, just grace and grace and grace. And like, what about truth? That's really uncomfortable. You can get to that truth stuff later. But love often requires, in fact, love demands both. It requires confrontation and correction, but never condemnation. And the problem with this conversation, let's just be honest, is it feels really risky and it's easy to mess it up and you don't know how they're gonna take it. And so we just avoid it all together. And we're just like, hey, yeah, I know you're totally like screwing up your life, but good job, man. You can do it. Let me just say something inspirational to you. Oh no, I just inspired you to keep going down the wrong path. So we just avoid it. But that doesn't actually seem to be, near as I can tell, an option that God gives us when it comes to us as his people. Because, well, you know this, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, like you, you need people who love you enough to tell you the truth about you. You need people who will risk hurting you or even offending you or even losing a relationship with you in order to help you grow and get better. Proverbs chapter 27, verse six, is the essence of this very thing. It says the wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's what he's talking about. Do you have people who love you enough to wound you? But then he says that then an enemy multiplies kisses. Can I just tell you, if you're a young person, you, and I'm speaking to you as a young person because you'll learn this as you go through your life. If you've lived for more than five minutes, you kind of know this. But can I just tell you, not everyone who hurts you is your enemy. Not everybody who speaks the truth to you and is willing to come alongside you to try to help you, but the, tell you the truth about you is out to do you harm. They're not a hater. They actually might be a lover. And they're coming to you because they love you. Also, the people who kiss your butt and only tell you what you want to hear 
Those people certainly are not your friend. That's what he means that an enemy multiplies kisses. Beware of the person that just wants to kiss you all the time. See, in my own experience, it has never, ever, ever felt good. It has always hurt. It's hurt my pride. It's hurt my feelings. It's, it's always hurt. But when I look back over my life, confrontation was almost always a gift that helped me see something that was broken or destructive about myself that I either couldn't or wouldn't see on my own. Almost always. By the way, I, I love uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. He's written a bunch of books. He's the reason why any of us know the word boundaries because he and a guy named um, Dr. John Townsend years ago, probably 25 years ago, wrote a book called Boundaries. Before that, nobody talked about it. Now it's everywhere. Um, but he's written a ton of books. He wrote a book called Safe People um, in which he talks about the difference between hurt and harm. And he's like, when you're in a relationship with somebody, like hurt, there's a difference between somebody hurting you because they love you enough to tell you the truth. And hurt is temporary. It doesn't feel good, but it's temporary. It usually actually helps us it's short-term, it helps us grow. But harm, on the other hand, is destructive. It's long-term, it's not meant, there's no, there's no positive intention. There's no good-heartedness behind it. And, and sometimes they feel like the same, but they're not. I, I don't know about you, but I have to consciously work at and decide whenever somebody in my life has come to me and said, and they've spoke the truth to me about me, being defensive. I've had to like constantly, like consciously decide, okay, I, I need to not, defend myself here. I've had to consciously decide to not deflect and be like, oh yeah, well, what about, who do you think you are? Oh yeah, I could tell you all this stuff about, yeah, I know, I know more about what you're doing wrong than you know about what I'm doing wrong. Right? I, you have to decide to not dismiss what they're saying as just being you know, a lunatic that's out to hurt you and maybe listen. Because every time I have, I've always, always, always been better for it. And what I've discovered in my life and what I've learned along the way is that one of the marks of being healthy, of growing and, and being mature, one of the marks of that in somebody's life is that they are confrontable. That you can go to them and say, hey man, I think you shouldn't do, like, what's going on here? And they don't just lose it and blow up the relationship and just fly. In fact, in Proverbs chapter nine, verse eight, it says this, listen to, listen to this wisdom by, from Solomon. He says, don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But you correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to handle it when people judge me, even when they don't do it perfectly. I want to learn and grow and take what they said. And so there's some times where people have confronted me about things and I've taken it and processed it. And I looked at every angle and just was like, you know what? They were wrong. But that doesn't mean they're a terrible person. They were trying to love me. So good, judge, good judgment involves the right people about the right thing, but then there's also the right way to go about it. No matter where you look in the scriptures, God only gives us one way to handle it when it comes to this stuff. And that's one-on-one, face-to-face -on -one, -face with the person that it is involved. You don't talk to other people. You don't try to get people to your side. 
you go straight to the other person. You don't rally 25 people and then go, look, I talked to 30 people before I came and talked to you. They all agree with me. You're a jerk and you need to knock it off, right? I'm just gonna tell you, they're not gonna receive that very well, right? Because you talk to a bunch of people about them. No, you go to them, which is what Paul did with Peter, right? He said, I opposed him. I had to oppose him. Guys, I didn't even have a choice. I opposed him to his face, which is kind of a, like, that's a little extra, but that's kind of who Paul was, is he was just a really intense personality. But here's the, here's the, here's the best part. Paul didn't go around and complain about Peter. Look, that Peter guy. I don't know if you guys have spent any time with him, but whew, he is not great. No, he went to Peter. He didn't go around and send letters out to all the other disciples. I don't know if you guys have heard what Peter has done. Let's, let's first go back to the part where he denied Jesus three times. I don't know if you guys remember that part, but that's where it all started. And now he's up in here being a hypocrite. We all know, I think we need to disqualify him as a disciple. No, he, he didn't do that. Like, he didn't try to cancel him. He went and had a conversation. Because in the end, the goal of good judgment is actually restoration. It's growth. It, it's, it, it's not condemnation. It's not like, this isn't about me being right and you being wrong. It's about God actually helping us both grow. So years, years later, after the confrontation between Paul and Peter, Peter wrote a letter to some of the churches of his own. And look at how Peter refers to Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved, for this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. It wasn't like, you know what? That Paul guy, he wrote about this. Don't listen to him. He one time, I went to Antioch and he's just, I don't know who he thinks he is. No, he's like, he calls Paul his beloved brother. We, we don't know the details. We're not given the details of how Peter responded specifically in the moment when Paul confronted him. I actually think it, don't went, it didn't go well because Peter, if you read about Peter in you know, the gospels, Peter was fiery. He was impulsive. Like he was not gonna take anything from anybody. So I don't think that initial conversation probably went super well. But we do know that ultimately they both grew in their faith, in their friendship, in their leadership, and they actually became closer as a result. The right people about the right things in the right way. There's one other element I want to give you before we finish. So you have the who, which is the right person. You have the what, which is the right way, and the when, which is the right reasons. The question is how. How do, how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, I, I think there's a simple and practical rule of thumb that we actually can see in the scriptures with Jesus and with Paul. That when we're confronting others, when what does good judgment look like? What does judging well look like? That we should always, 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 and always start with ourself, stay with the scriptures, and stick with mercy. Whenever we're confronting other people, and confronting other people sounds really serious and heavy and uncomfortable, right? Like it's something that we should really, really think through and consider before we ever do it. And that's because it is, right? And that's kind of the point. Because most of the things that we judge people about, most of the things that we call people out on, most of the things that we, you know, put people on blast for are super shallow and petty or they're just personal preference things. 
And so if it doesn't rise to the level of you sitting down with someone face to face and saying, hey, I need to talk to you about this. This is a problem. If it doesn't rise, then you have no business judging them for that. And you just need to let it go and realize like you, the problem is with you and not them. Have you noticed how it's so much more fun to judge other people about their issues than it is about yourself? So Jesus lays out for us that there is a time and a place for judging, but it never starts with others. It always starts with us looking in the mirror. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, it certainly happened to me where like, it's really super easy to be arrogant with an area that someone else struggles in when, when you don't struggle in that area. I mean, you're just like, look, I don't know. Why can't you just like stop eating and get some exercise and lose weight? And so all of you people who have never struggled with your weight as an adult, I'm about to confront you because you guys have been jerks to us that do. So uh, just leave us alone, right? Am I right? No, no. In fact, for me, I have gained and lost weight a bunch of times in my adult life. And about 10 years ago, I lost a bunch of weight and I kept it off for a little while. And it did not take very long because before I became one of you judgmental skinny people, and I'd just be like, what's your problem is? Look, you just need to stop, you know, and you just give them the stupid advice. Like I was some sort of expert. But it's easy to hold people accountable for their weaknesses and their struggles when we're not weak or we don't struggle in that area, right? But when, but when it comes to our weakness and our struggle, we have all kinds of excuses and we give ourselves grace and latitude. Well, you just don't understand. I am an incredible prosecuting attorney when it comes to other people and their problems. But when it comes to me, I'm Johnny Cochran, you guys. Like I am the world's greatest defense attorney. I got airtight alibis, all right? If the gloves don't fit, leave me alone. I can't rhyme it like he does. But Jesus is saying, don't do that. Start with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror. That's the place. In fact, that's what he actually says in Matthew chapter seven, verse three. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a giant log or plank sticking out of yours? And when we don't start with ourselves, we have the worst kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. We go and we're just like, I'm so good. And this is, and you're so wrong. We start with ourselves. Secondly, we need to stay with the scriptures. We don't usually recognize it, but we often judge people in situations based on just our cultural preferences or the things that we like or whatever, rather than actually on stuff that God has said, right? And when that happens, we end up placing our own kind of personal standards on people. And we end up saying a lot of things that God maybe even didn't say or was quiet about or didn't really touch on in the scriptures, which is just, again, self-righteous. Finally, stick with mercy. Being right never ever excuses treating somebody wrong, ever. One of my favorite um, leaders, authors, writers, his name was Dallas Willard. He was the, um, the chair of the philosophy department at USC for a couple of decades, died uh, a few years ago. He wrote this in one, of book, in one of his books. He says, one of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. And isn't that the truth? Because when we're right, man, we want them to know it and you're going to feel it. 
Feel every piece of my rightness. In James chapter two, James was the half brother of Jesus. Verse 13, he says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. See, the truth is we've all have areas where we've been out of line. We all have things we got to deal with. The question is, are, are we dealing with each other? Are we judging each other in a way that we want to be judged? What if instead of making assumptions, what if instead of going into the conversations with guns blazing, you just began, like Paul talks about in Galatians, to humbly and gently approach people with mercy and grace and have a conversation? You don't water down or leave out the truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how you approach somebody. What if instead of making assumptions, we ask more questions? What if instead of making snap judgments, we just became, became curious and just sat and listened to each other and each other's story? Not, not so that we could then excuse something, but so that we could understand how they arrived with that particular view or that particular issue or that particular habit. And we can go, oh, See, I, I, I'm, I'm, so we could be reminded that I'm broken just like you are. And for those of us who are maybe on the other end of the, the spectrum where we're so afraid of looking judgmental or being judgmental that we never have conversations, we never confront anyone about anything ever, like Jesus would say, that's not how love behaves. That, that's uncomfortable, but that's not how it behaves. That's not what true community looks like. There's no doubt about it. Judging or having difficult conversations, it's dangerous. It feels dangerous, but it's also, nece- it's also necessary because we can take sin seriously and also love each other unconditionally. Jesus modeled it perfectly for us. We're not Jesus, so we're not going to get it perfect. But that is the life, that is the way that we need to move towards. So. Think about your life right now. Is there a conversation that you've been avoiding? Simply because you don't want people to think that you're judging them. Who are the right people? What are the right things? Maybe it's the right time and in the right way you approach them. Start with yourself. Stay with the scriptures. Stick with mercy. Let's pray together.